Hello and welcome to e-commerce growth stories. This is your hostess with the mostest, Juliana Jackson, aka the CLV lady. And also I am the chief evangelist for OmniConvert. And this is Valentin Radu, CEO of OmniConvert. Thank you for tuning in today for a new episode of e-commerce growth stories. Do you like snooping around? I know I do. I don't know, did you ever wonder what Sony uses to power their e-commerce business or Coca-Cola or Motorola or other big names in uh, e-commerce and retail? Well, today the secret is going to be revealed and I am talking about Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades like ever. So, if you're an e-commerce brand and you're looking to find a software that can really become a powerhouse to your business, providing you the best go-to-market speed, flexibility, daily updates and reports, and overall platform stability and agility, you really have to check these guys out. So, make sure you go to visit vtex.com, that's vtex.com, today and give that e-commerce business a boost. So today we're talking to Kelly Slesser. She's the CEO and founder of shopyou.com.au. That's shopyou.com.au. And she came with so much amazing energy to talk about the very hot topic, which is the status quo of retailers when it comes to digital transformation. So we all know that there's so many retail stores right now and retail owners that are trying to go online. Some of them get it. Some of them don't. Kelly, she's fighting the good fight, trying to help retailers go online and help them achieve digital transformation and embrace the direct-to-consumer channel. So she came here today to share with us what are some things that she is helping uh, these founders with and what are the problems that she's encountering. So make sure you tune in today. She has an amazing energy. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I know it's super early in the morning for you. It's uh, issues. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy that we were able to connect the time zones from Romania to Australia because for us it's like almost 12 p.m. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome that we're meeting here at the brink of dawn. So, guys, Kelly is here. She has worked with a hundred plus retailers, and she is helping the retailers go online. And right now, she is the founder of ShopU, which it's a an online mall. I hope I'm saying that right, Kelly, where the 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 customer is the one that's calling the you know the shots, and the customer is the center of everything. And Kelly, right now, is here moving the physical to digital. And I just want to know, Kelly, how did you get into e-commerce? That's the first thing I always ask. Yeah. So um, I I left uni and went into a company called British Telecom, which is a big telco in the UK. And I was a technical product manager. And we used to build big pipes. I wanted to go off traveling, but my dad being a traditional Nigerian man, you have to go to work. There's no, there's no fun to be had after school. You've got to be a doctor or a lawyer. That's it. <laughs> so, um, but actually, in some ways, he was non-traditional because he allowed me to go off into technology. But then he, I had to be a computer scientist. Um, So anyway, I started my first job in British Telecom. The idea was I was going to save up some money and I was going to get the hell out of there. Um, Five years later, I was still there. 
Um, and I was a, a technical product manager. So we used to build big pipes into buildings. We, you know, I could, we had all the acronyms. I could, I could give you all of the, you know, really boring terminology that we, on technology we built back then. We started, we started out with voice over IP and we had, you know, mobile connectivity and all of that stuff before mobile really had kind of blossomed. And I got to work on a project called Sainsbury's, the store of the future. So Sainsbury's is one of the biggest grocery retailers in the UK. Um, and I think it's where I found my love and passion for all things retail, because all of a sudden I had this epiphany and I didn't realize it until years later that at the end of those big pipes we were developing and at the end of that kind of little internet connection, at the end of that mobile and the voice over IP was a real customer that had needs and was emotional and didn't make linear decisions like our technology was forcing them to do. And I think, you know, at that point we were building out um, the future of, of retail. So we were looking at, I mean, we, we looked at scanners that were probably bigger than trolleys now that you could walk around and, you know, scan things in. And that was, you know, over, oh, I'm going to give away my age, over 20 years ago that we were looking at that. And then how do we connect the things on shelf in a digital world before we really had internet technology that was accessible to everyone. We were still dialing up, you know, everyone was peddling in their, in their dial-up room, in their big server rooms. So that's where I found my passion for all things customer and all things e-commerce and all things retail. And then throughout my career, I think I've just come back to that. I came to Australia, I ran a mobile, um, one of the first mobile agencies here. So back then we were using WAP technology and, you know, ringtones was the thing of the future. Um, and we were doing SMS campaigns and we did the first Big Brother and it was all very exciting, but very campaign driven and very campaign led. So a lot of the stuff we did then, although exciting and interesting, yes, Elise, ringtones, I know, can you remember? Especially Crazy Frog. Do you remember Crazy Frog? Yeah, <laughs> it has like that. one billion <laughs> plays on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I had the next episode by Snoop Dogg and it was the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I brought to Australia. It was like, they, they're they still trying to get rid of me now. Um, so, so we kind of, we got to test a lot of things out. But I kept coming back to in the agency kind of model, a lot of it wasn't sustainable. So we weren't creating relationships with customers. We were doing one-off campaigns. And yes, we got to do some amazing technology around kind of, you know, we did the first massive multiplayer kind of gaming technology that connected to a retail um, environment and all of that great stuff. But I, I lost that connection to customer for a while. So then I, when I had my first child, I went in search of work-life balance, which I've realized is a mythical character that does not exist. Um, I wish I'd realized that earlier. Um, and I set up my own company. So I started advising and working with retailers um, on how to build out their platforms. And one of the projects I worked on, I think, which probably changed my thinking about everything was, again, I worked on a brand called Woolworths. And at the same time, I was working with a fashion brand here called Glue Store. So for Glue Store, we were building out their mobile application. And for Woolworths, we were looking at their loyalty platform and how that connected to, to e-commerce. And I just had this moment where we um, had analyzed some data 
And back then, we didn't have, I was looking for an off the shelf kind of machine learning platform, and there wasn't one. So I found a data scientist in Russia. And I asked him to analyze, you know, Amazon and eBay and, and scrape all of the data out of the um, app store. And because it took so long and there was there was, you know, I basically read through about 5000 reviews myself and uh, um, and basically looked at them from a, I did an analysis on sentiment, blah, 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 blah. And I came up with three things that were consistent through those 4000 reviews, which was save me time save me money and you should know me and those were the three things that kind of i suppose then became really um something that i think about every day when i'm thinking about e-commerce probably less so about saving money um because i think we will pay for convenience especially in this covid world i think we're moving more and more towards that but save me time because we all have a finite time on this planet. And I think we're, we're realizing that more and more. Um, and then you should know me um, and actually giving me things based on the information you have about me rather than just serving me a billion results um, is where kind of shop you came from. I have so many questions. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so my first question is this um i love your history first of all i used i started in telecom too i know voice over ip i know terminations and cli i i worked for a knock center for some time i know that struggle and uh, the best part of it was indeed the customer and the fact that you know it's not something so tangible that you can say one plus one equals two it's always some nuance and a gray area that you know excites you if you are cut for this so i definitely relate to that um, I'm I'm very curious. I mean, I have a lot of questions. I actually wrote some down, and I see that they don't make sense anymore. So I will go back to them once once we get there to that point, because I want to talk about the retail versus online thing. But question, question, question. So you have seen the beginning of this, uh, you know, trend with e-commerce, and you have looked at Amazon, and it's always this question where uh, there's a comparison between Amazon, which is a marketplace and direct to consumer brands. And it's something totally different. And I like the fact that you said that we pay for convenience. And mm. in your opinion, because Australia and New Zealand are one of the biggest markets for e-commerce right now, if from my point of view, from the sense of how evolved the markets are and how amazing and understanding they are, you know, you know, things like retention and customer lifetime value versus the US and Europe. And no, you know, I'm not sending any shots to my friends from the US right now. Um, I just want to ask you like, when it comes to e-commerce brands, do you think that they take into consideration the amount of convenience that a, a marketplace like Amazon offers to consumers and they reproduce that or they take from Amazon just the sales type of mentality? I think they take the sales mentality, definitely. I think they, they focus heavily on that. It's, it's another channel for them to sell through. Um, and it's a channel that, um, you know, gives them brand awareness, gives them exposure. I think the convenience thing they are trying to repli replicate, but from a cost perspective, for a lot of them doesn't make sense. And I think that's the struggle, the push and pull struggle at the moment for retailers is that they know they need to offer faster, better, you know, more convenient service, but they're just not equipped to do it. 
and they're spending a lot of money in their digital channels at the moment on things that aren't performing and aren't effective and wasting a lot of money doing that and not spending it on the convenience. We were having a conversation the other day and, um, you know, um, I work, we've been doing some stuff with Australia Post here and, um, you know, that that ability, so if, if, you, if you go back pre-COVID, you know, the logistics piece of getting that last mile piece to you was kind of an add-on to a retailer. Now it's seen as part of the experience. You don't disassociate the retailer from the man or the woman that delivers the parcel at the door and you sign off. They are all part of the service that you have paid for. And if the person that drops your parcel at the door drops it and it's broken or it's that's that's part of the experience. So retailers have to get closer to that convenience, the logistics piece, and making sure that and, and they know Amazon can provide that. So although they're investing in sales at the moment, I think they're becoming aware of the benefits that having that full end-to-end experience is has on a on a customer's perspective and their likelihood to re repurchase or to, to buy again from them. Yeah, I agree. I think we associate everything with a brand that goes wrong after we order because somehow everyone has buyer remorse. So if something goes bad, it's, it's the brand's, it's the brand's uh, you know, uh, fault. Yeah. yeah, that's. I like that point, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I like it. It sounds, it's awesome. But like, that's something that happens for. I'm sorry, Valentin. I know. No worries. I just, I'm just happy because she, what she's saying. <laughs> like music to my ears, <laughs> to my very tired ears but so from a, a, a retail perspective uh we seen right now that there's a very big interest in uh you know that comes from retailers to going online but the problem is that a lot of people that sold for years offline and they have retail stores are clueless when it comes to the online world and like from what from my experience is this you either work with people that really get it and they have someone in their team they, they really understand the value of uh, you know online and direct to consumer but then there are the other brands and this is actually the question that i wrote down and i'm just gonna make sure i put it right so what do you think uh, are the main issues because i know this is your background and this is your you know this is what you do what are some main issues that retailers face when they are trying to go digital and they don't know exactly what this channel can provide to them? And also because I see in the audience, a lot of people are digital companies. What are your best advices on how to approach the direct-to-consumer channel? So, oh, so many issues. Um, they don't know what they don't know. I think that's the, that's the hardest thing. It's like, and, and they, they reach out to people to try and um, to try and answer the questions, but invariably there's not a lot of people like you, Juliana, who have this this wealth of knowledge, you know, who know a cross channel, who know, you know, the, the kind of know how to get a product to market online and know all of the levers you've got to pull to make sure it is financially viable. So I think one of the issues we they have is Firstly, understanding where to invest their money. So I think a lot of them historically have overpaid for digital uh, digital implementation. So for websites, I know retailers that have spent a hundred grand on a website, and it's no better than the retailer down the road that has spent three grand on a website. You know, the experience isn't better. They're not converting higher. The cost per acquisition isn't lower. 
And so they invest all that money and then wonder why they don't come, you know, why the customers don't come. I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is they don't invest enough time in their Google presence. So for me, Google's the shop front for them. And I, I fundamentally believe, especially for physical retail, they need to, and I always, I always kind of liken this to, if you had a physical store and the windows were broken, there was no signage in the window, the merchandising was all kind of slapdash all over the place. It was like, you know, shells were falling down. No one would come into your store. But yet we do that every day with our Google presence. You know, retailers don't look at their Google presence. They spend on average two hours a week looking at their front store and redesigning it, putting signage up, cleaning it up, making it look pretty because people are walking by. Reality is people aren't walking by at the moment. So what they're doing is they're searching on Google and you've got this windows broken and you've got bad imagery and you've got your call to actions are like 10 years out of date. And there's just no kind of... There's no impetus. There's nothing drawing the customer into your store. So that's the first problem I see. The second problem I see is they pay a lot of SEO agencies a lot of money to do a lot of nothing. And I, I, I think that's a massive problem in the industry that we need to kind of really resolve. And I think that's because they're not educated on what SEO is. Um, so one of the things I do on the courses I run is really look at and, and try and um, educate people on the importance of SEO and how they do it. Not that they need to do it themselves, because if they're retailers and they got into the business because they love retailers, they don't want to be doing bloody SEO. It's boring as batshit. Um, sorry, any SEO experts. It's boring if you're not a retailer. Sorry, Juliana. Um, but what they do need to do is is to understand it so they can make informed decisions. So when someone comes back, and I've got an example of a retailer working on last week who's spending two and a half grand a month on SEO. It's not a great deal, but for a small business, that's a lot of money. So they're spending two and a half grand. Um, the keywords they came back with and said, look, these are the keywords that we're, we're ranking on. And I looked at them and I said, yeah, but there's no traffic to those keywords. So your agency are doing a great job on getting you ranking to the top of Google on something that no one is searching for. But they don't know this information. They just see that their agency is saying that they're ranking on Google for number one. And they're like, hallelujah. Oh, but by the way, we're still not making any sales. So I think there's a massive education piece. Sorry, I waffled on then. I don't even know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm, I'm here taking notes and I like what you're saying. And uh... I, I think you're like the second person that I met besides Valentin and myself. So the third person that speaks with so much passion about this. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy right now. So go on, please. <laughs> Talk about she's fresh as well, right? Sorry? And you're also fresh at 7 a.m. or something, 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Oh, I've done gym. I've got kids off. I've, you know. This you is what I'm saying? <laughs> I love yeah. it. This is my prime time, really. <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I do too, like in the morning until 12 and then I'm done. So you said the storefront, the Google presence, the SEO. What's another one? Um, what else do they struggle with? I think, um, again, one of the biggest issues I see is they don't measure cost per acquisition. So I, I just don't, I can't compute that. I'm like, you're just going to throw money down a funnel and hope that it, pays for something or you get a customer back so I again I had a conversation with a really tough conversation with the retailer the other day where where they said we spent 
um, you know, I can't remember how, a few thousand dollars on some ads and they got something like a hundred people to their website. And I said, hold on, let me just give me that few thousand. I'll ring all my friends and get them to jump on your website because that's how bloody stupid that is. And I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but it's just not, it, it just doesn't make business sense. Again, you would not spend money on doing your retail store up and then not track the people that are coming into your store and making sure that they're the right people and that you're making money off them and you're upselling them. So again, I think not measuring that cost per ac uh, customer acquisition cost and making sure what you're doing stacks up is another massive gap I see in the market at the moment. And we agree with that a lot. Valentina, I know you have your thoughts around the acquisition cost. I don't want to take the scene and steal them from you. <laughs> no. what, what are you seeing? So what are your major, you know, what do you see as the gaps in, in people making that, retailers making that transition? I think they don't know how to calculate acquisition cost. I'm going to let Valentin go more on that. I just think for me, it's what baffles me. It's like they confuse acquisition cost with ad spend. And that's it. Yeah. This is where they stop. Yeah. Actually, I saw you've got a spreadsheet that allows you to do the cost on your LinkedIn page. So, um, yeah, I will, I don't mind, I will use that and send it out to people. Feel sure. free to, feel free to Valentin, use it. Valentin did it. <laughs> yeah, so what I think it's, uh, it's happening, Kelly, and I think you've, uh, you've outlined it uh, quite, uh, quite completely is that, uh, unfortunately, the, there are, there is a shortage of people which are uh, at the right place at the right time. And they are, uh, I, I think the underlying reason is that they are freaking afraid to make a move and to do what's their uh, mission and passion and calling to do. And that's why they end up doing the job they hate and they just tweak some sliders and they are just pushing some ad campaigns and they are doing this social media thing so that they can pay the rent. So eventually I think the underlying cause is that if you're passionate about something, you will end up being quite good at it. But the yeah. problem is that uh, companies are afraid to pay extra for talented people or to hire consultants. Uh, companies are having top managers, which are getting those freaking bonuses for nothing and they are not using the right providers the right vendors and they are too afraid to acknowledge the fact and to recognize the fact that they are outdated already but about by this game and i've been in a lot of boardrooms with huge retailers with thousands of employees and i've been i've been let's say uh drying my mouth trying to let them know how stupid it is to think that digital transformation means you're not gonna, you, you don't have to tweak your mindset first. And they, yeah. they yeah. instead of looking at things like what our customers, uh, how our customers behaving because pandemic, because competition, because whatever, they think about what can we transform with technology in our company? And they are so completely disconnected. I mean, the customers mm -hmm. have their thing and they have this, immense power to switch from them to an, or any other company and they have those freaking uh, heritage of uh, 20 30 60 years in the business thinking that they are too big to fall and they will i think in the future we will see some huge collapses in uh, in just a few years from now i mean this wave of direct to consumer uh, this wave of uh, amazon let's say uh, dominating the 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 market and uh, 
on the on the other hand, the middleman being completely smashed by the uh, yeah. likes of brands which are, for God's sake, Nike is uh, has just opened the uh, opened the path, and now O'Neill is doing. There, there are a lot of uh, brands which are having their communities, and they don't need uh, those superstores to sell their uh, their stuff. And I think to that the reason that people, e-commerce people are not handling customer acquisition, customer lifetime value, is that they are not at the right place and they are not at the right place because, I don't know, there are few people which are passionate about what they do and that's because we, we are afraid. I mean, the underlying cause, the root cause of everything is that we're too afraid to make the leap and to, to jump and yeah. to go out there and to take what is ours. And we end up playing the piano even though maybe we 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 like the drums and yeah that's it. yeah that's my yeah. totally agree totally agree and i think that fear creates i see it create two things actually one is paralysis so they just don't do anything and they just try and tweak little things and the other one is they try and do everything without getting the fundamentals right and going back to what you said about customer I just, I, again, it blows my mind about how little retailers, and actually I do a lot of work in property groups, so shopping centers and shopping malls, how little they understand and know about the customer. And again, one of the analogies I always use is that, you know, you've got, you've got, when someone walks into a store, you've got, you know, you've got your target market probably about 50, 60% of the time because They've seen your store, they know what, what it is, and they've walked in. So you kind of know. And, and at that point, you'll convert about 20 to 30% of them. When someone comes online, we convert around about 2%, which shows us how wrong we are still getting online, like how big that gap is and how much opportunity there is also to grow. But I think fundamentally that one of the biggest reasons for that is not only because the, we don't personalize the journey, but... On top of that, we don't know who the customer is and we're not driving the right customers. So I'm always saying to retailers, in, in Australia, for instance, that uh, the average cost per acquisition is between $25 and $30, which is just not sustainable for a small retailer. It doesn't stack up. You know, when their average price point of their product is $60, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So in which they have to get that down is by understanding the customer. And, and I'll, I'll sit in, like you, um, I'll sit in boardrooms where I'll say to people, when was the last time you talked to one of your customers? And everyone looks at me like I've just sworn at them. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've insulted them. And they'll do the kind of, well, well, we've got a team of researchers who do that. But actually, have you had a conversation with them to understand what it is they want or need from your digital channels? Yeah. No. Not the team of research. A year ago says, the survey you did a year ago pre-COVID says this, and you're not implementing that in five years' time. Brilliant. I'm yeah. just going to get my and I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> on your on your point regarding the uh, regarding the the fact that we we don't convert the the uh, on on our website as we convert on uh, on the retail stores, uh, I have a I have a nice story about a huge brand uh, publicly traded from uh, Southeast Asia. We were working with them. They had this amazing website, it, 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 but you couldn't do anything on it. You know, it it was a luxury luxury brand. 
they were they were all doing this in huge investment and uh, i jumped uh, in over there with with my team and we uh, we needed to analyze what's going on with them i mean at some point they 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 haven't sold anything on the on the website and the the first thing that we 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 done was a, this freaking survey on the online we we asked a simple question have you found what you were looking for on our website and it was like 91% of them said no. And they were surprised why people are not buying their purses and whatever. Uh, it's so true, isn't it? We just don't ask the questions. We just, I think there's a, a let's just do what they did because what they did looks like it's working. But we can't see the under the bonnet of what they, the retailer next door actually did. We can't see what their acquisition strategy is, what their cost per click is. We can't see any of that. So we're just literally replicating stuff blind. You're right. Like we need, I think we need to ask more questions. Or, and that, then I'm going to let Juliana ask the next, next question. Or there is this habit that the marketing people are doing completely disconnected with the product teams, with the uh, customer experience. They are in their silos, right? And, and they, at some point they realize, hmm, we need to understand our customers and what they do. They end up in a meeting room, six, 12 people building the fictional buyer persona. Uh, is it Jane or is it Joan? Or uh, is she 41 or is she 46? And uh, yeah, and uh, does she has kids? Yeah, I think she does. And that's it. That's their buyer persona. That's, that's how they know their customers. Those. Because if we have six, then we've created some more work for the next 12 months. But no, you're totally right. So again, one of the things I do um, in, in the very first session on, on the course that I run is I go, right, okay, what's, what, what does your customer look like? And they will come up with their customer and they're normally 18 to 65, male and female, you know, and there's 20 million of them. And I'm like, <laughs> let's, let's narrow that down a bit. Let's understand who's your best customer, who spends the most money, who's the one that recommends you in the most. And then let's go and back that up by data. Let's pull your Facebook stats and your Google Analytics and your you know, and your Instagram, and let's see what age group they are, who's interacting with you the most, who's then going through to purchase. And then there's a, a bit of an epiphany moment where they go, ah, oh, there's actually data about this stuff. I don't need to actually make this stuff up, which is, um, and then, you know, and then you start to see the cost per acquisition going down because you're targeting based on those attributes as opposed to just 20 million people between the ages of 16 and 85 or whatever it might be. Mm. The guessing game, where some people call it, uh, I get I get a lot of messages on LinkedIn lately, and some people are asking me about uh, how we hypothesize the data. And I was like, we don't, we just we just look at it. And I was like, no, but we use significant probability, <laughs> and uh, we can find out what's gonna happen. And I'm saying like, why don't you talk to your customers? We don't need to talk to them. We're just looking at the data that happens, uh, you know, with, with the purchase. We have Google Analytics, we have a team of data people. We don't need to see what happens post-purchase. And then you see that their year-over-year -year growth is down and they just, you know, feed that revenue in. But in the back, it's, it's bad, which, yeah. which, which, which takes me to my, uh, my next question. So I am a big fan of Retail Dive. I think everyone is because I think all of us are reading Retail Dive. So I think I read somewhere there that, and I wrote this down, that the online sales in Australia currently are around 12 to 15% as of mm -hmm. overall, right? 
and yeah. uh, they are going to rise to 20 to 25 percent in the next 12 months so in your opinion what are some things that the industry should be focusing on right now given this situation so i think um some of the some of the big gaps are education so i think we need to educate retailers i think there's been a lot of calls to just throw money at this um you know here we've had things like job keepers which which has been great and helped the industry and now the, um, there's a, a body here that's calling for money to go into retailers to help them digitally enable. I'm worried about that because I think that what will happen is they will spend their money in the wrong areas. So again, going back to what we talked about earlier, one of the things I see with retailers is they'll say to me, I've spent this much on, on ads. And I'm like, okay, why are you driving traffic if it's not converting? Why are you spending all that money on ads if when they get to the experience, it's a bad one? The windows are broken, basically. Um, so I think there's got to be some money spent on education, not necessarily on digital ads and things like that. I think it's actually um, lifting the industry. The second piece is around logistics. So, yep, I'm with you totally. We just need to just get this, get everyone on this on this gravy train. Um, the second one is the logistics piece. So that's a huge issue for Australia because of the scale um, and, you know, the way that the country is distributed in terms of, um, um, you know, rural, urban, residential. So that's something that really needs to be addressed because for a lot of retailers, that logistics piece doesn't stack up at the moment. And I think there are ways in which we can address that but it means things like the property groups or the shopping centers actually investing in digital. And there's been a big fight here, um, and a, a fight that I've been having for years with property groups in that they, they don't or didn't historically believe that digital was something that they should be invested in because their foot traffic, they're physical. For me, they are customer and they are traffic and that's what they do for their retailers and whatever channel that comes in they need to be part of the channel so there's been a journey of education and they're getting there and there's much more talk around investing in digital channels but i think they can help solve that problem of convenience for customers and actually i think redefine um, a shopping center from a physical um, experience to a digital experience with a oh, sorry uh, from a physical store to a digital experience and a physical experience which are connected together so I think they're probably two of the main things the education piece and then working out the logistical piece we are so with you on the educational piece we just got so tired of the know-how problem in the market that we started an academy an e-commerce academy and we believe in the education piece so much because there's no data problem it's just a know-how problem it's just a mindset problem as valentine calls it and we're just like uh i guess i'm happy i'm really happy that we're talking to you because i was very tired but now that you like you have such a great energy that you woke me up which stressed <laughs> me you woke me up completely right now and uh, yeah like i'm i have beets juice <laughs> that, I, that i have right now um I think it's extremely important right now, the education. We're dealing with a lot of changes in the market, but it's a very slow burn. And the only way we can push that change forward is through this education, is through helping people achieve that sort of mentality that stops, you know, stops them from blocking all the blessings that are around them. Because when your mind is so stuck on, a, on a, you know, on, on one thing, you are dealing with that status quo a lot. 
And the only way you can address the status quo and to fix the status quo is if you challenge it. But if you surround yourself with what I call an echo chamber, then you cannot grow. And you and a lot of uh, the issues that I've seen happening, because I work with we we work with a lot of companies that are you know digital, um, is the problem that some founders have such a stock mindset that they hire people to do the job for e-commerce for direct to consumer, but they don't allow them to do the job. They don't allow them to do you know all of the things that they could do, and then they just disconsider a lot this uh, this channel. So yeah. just another dimension because I just feel like we jumped and we didn't just you know had time to talk about ShopU. Tell us mm. what what is ShopU and what are you doing with it? So going back to that research piece I did um, around personalization. Um, sorry, around answering the question that, that customers have got, which is, you know me, why are you, I do you use that information to give me a better experience. And I think we, we have a real issue with that in, um, in, in retail, in that if I go to Google now and I search for a black dress, I'm going to get something like 1.27 billion results. None of them are targeted at me. None of them are for my body shape. None of them are, you know, know who I am. But Google's got all this data on me. So actually, it does know who I am. It knows what my children are, who are my children are. It knows what age I have. But yet it gives me 1.2 billion irrelevant results. So on that concept, um, we launched about four or five years ago, we launched a, an app, which was a personalization app. And essentially what happens is it was, it was fashion. Um, essentially what happens is you put in things like your body shape, you put in things like your, um, you know, your preferences around color and things like that, which bits of your body you hate, which bits you love, and then you get recommendations and your favorite brands, because actually um, the algorithm we built when we were doing the research with the customer, we realized that brand was actually one of the most important decision makers. So anyway, we built, we built out an app, we went direct to consumer, and we we tested a lot of things and we saw huge growth really, really quickly and then quite quickly realized that direct-to-consumer is actually really hard um, and we needed investment to scale. So at the same time, we started talking to the property groups and, and being that I'd worked in property for a long time, the property groups wanted to look at whether they could use something like that in their shopping centers. Fast forward to COVID, and shopping centers shut down and they had no technology in the shopping centers to be able to connect retailers to the customer. So we used the ShopU engine to basically do that. So we provided a click and collect service um, in one of the shopping centers in Australia. And we also built out a personalization um, connection. So essentially what Virtual Mall is, is it connects straight into the shopping center. You go into the virtual mall. So let's say, what's your local shopping mall? San Plaza. Mine is called San Plaza. Valentin uh, is probably Bonata because he's uh, living in a, I'm in the in a north. different region. Yeah, and I'm in the south. Okay. Let's say San Plaza. So basically, you jump onto the San Plaza website and mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to either browse or personalize your journey. So when you go into personalize, you pick your brands. You pick things like, um, you might pick, um, you know, that you like health and beauty, you like wellness, you might pick that, you know, things about your, you can go on a style journey and answer questions around that. Once you've done that, 
you then go into your own personal shopping center and it's filled with things that are relative to you. So if you search for a red dress for a party, it knows your age, it knows what your body shape is, and it knows what type of red dress you might like based on the brands that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. If you search a gift, for instance, um, it knows, um, you know, or you might search for electronics, it will give you information based on your data. So we've built an algorithm of you, essentially. And that's kind of, um, that's my philosophy. Like the algorithm needs to be based on you, not on Facebook, not on Google, not on, it needs to be based on what your attributes are. So in the virtual shopping mall, you can then talk to concierge and ask questions. You can connect with a personal stylist via video. You can, um, you can basically put in your events. So if you've got a wedding coming up or you've got a business meeting coming up, you can put that in and then recommendations will be made on that. So what we do is we ingest tags into the product using a variety of different technology. And then so when you then um, search for a product, we use natural language search. And when you search for a product, you're then given the product that is most relevant to your algorithm, not what we're trying to sell you. That's it. Mm. you're speaking about like it's nothing that's it like i think it's amazing uh we don't have that here in uh, our region i mean i think there were some attempts to it uh, right now what the malls have is just uh i know i just they just showcase the shops and whatever the closest thing we got to that is that we have this app called glovo which is like postmates i think in the U uk or the us or i don't know what's in australia but it's mostly the same stuff so you can go and uh, they have this mall option and you can see a few shops or Ikea or whatever, and you can, uh, it's, it doesn't use an algorithm, unfortunately. There's no personalization. They just no. show you what are all the, uh, right now it's dead probably, my uh, the global, because it's uh, late. But basically you can see um, all the products that they have in the, in the mall. But to be honest, there's no personalization. So unfortunately you have to go through the same shit. Sorry, Valentin. You have to go through the same. <laughs> to the same stuff all over <laughs> yeah. yes. there you go see so you have a global mall there you go yeah and you go through it and let's say whatever you know I, I have a baby so i'm just gonna look at baby clothes so instead of you know showing what i need and you know what the, the type of stuff that i like they just show me the same stuff so they, it's no personalization so i guess it's a big friction that every time you have to go and look for the same stuff that you let, let's say you purchased uh, or you want to purchase so i i see the value of having um you know everything about you in a in a spot and then allowing uh, you know uh, that will go to work for you and not based on other people's uh, preferences i really think that's really cool and uh, sorry valentine again i'm just i just woke up. kelly we have a question from nelson and uh, yeah, the question sorry, is nelson. how to convince especially the big corporations that they need to invest in education I think it's a it's a painful and slow journey that I have been on for some time now. Um, and I think you just I think if I if I think to some of the property groups, especially where you've got you've got some big egos in the room and you've also got um, this is the way we've always done it. Um, so there's always a, a fear around kind of change. I think it's really, you know, 
taking them back to the basics and then connecting them to what the customer needs and wants. So for me, I show many examples of what's going on around the world and innovation pieces, but then I bring them back to, but this is what we actually need to implement. There's some great stuff going on around the world and this is where the world is moving. One of the stats I constantly use is something you picked up on earlier on, Juliana, which is the move to online is happening so fast. And if you look at Ray Kowitz, um, who is that futurist technologist, he talks about this kind of acceleration of change and the fact that what we are seeing now is nothing compared to what we're going to see in two to three years' time. Like, we're scratching the surface. And I think putting that fear in people, almost, um, that, that actually... You know, I've had I've had property groups who will say to me, oh, look, we, you know, we're not we're not investing in online. And I will say, but we make we're at 15 percent now. And then they'll say, yeah, we won't get to 25 to 30 percent. And I say, but one of the biggest retailers here is a, a retailer called um, Shaver Shop. They're already at 30 percent. So they're a physical store, traditionally physical. They've launched an online store and 30 percent of their sales now come from online. So we are moving that way. And the big, the bigger retailers have moved there quicker. And now we've got to educate the smaller retailers. And it's not that I, I, I think physical is always going to be important. We're humans, we need connection. And I think, you know, having that human interaction and being able to touch and feel products and, and um, connect with things is never going away, but it's just how do we make the digital journey more seamless to make it easier for people to connect and have an experience in the physical world? Because we're only going to go there if there's an experience in the future. Yeah, totally. Did I answer? Sorry, Brian. Or did I just ramble? No, no, no. You're you're right. What what I wanted to to uh, to add to. To, to Nelson is that uh, if they don't learn, I mean, if the big corporations will not learn, they will eventually go outside of the arena. And uh, pretty much that, that's it. If uh, It's like uh, like we, we were in, uh, in school, right? If you don't learn, you will repeat the class or you will be uh, expelled. And that's it. That's, yeah. that's what's going on with the, these retailers. And if we remember... Uh, Thomas Cook from from the travel industry, pre-pandemic, right? So they haven't yeah, been they they haven't been hit by the pandemic to go, go out of the, the the scene. It was before the pandemic, and that that was because their their customer centricity was uh, just a notion that they were putting in the charts or something like that. But if you look at uh, Booking.com or the Google Trends, people were actually not buying travel packages and trips and whatever by yeah. going to their freaking uh, stores and, yeah. and that's it and blockbuster and there are a lot of stories about uh, about it and in order to of of course if you if you are uh, let's say fighting within if you are an innovator in a, in a big corporation in a in a big company you should surround i think what you should be doing it's you should go all the way up and and see if the mentality of the leader of that company deserves you over there. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. And I, 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 there is no use uh, to be to live your life like Don Quixote because the time is limited. No, you have no return policy on your time. Nobody's uh, returning your your uh, wasted time, and that's it. You you should pay attention to how you you invest your most precious asset, which is your time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love your analogies of donkeys. 
brilliant, brilliant. I'm not working with donkeys anymore. I've decided that's it. No, and it's it's you're right. It's it's about making sure the person at the top is is actually um, uh, you know invested in this and that they have a real impetus for change as opposed to just a lip service. We need to transform the organisation. And then indoctrinating them as well. But I think one of the, I think one of the issues we've got at the moment is go back to what you said, Juliana, around that. Um, and I talk about a lot about kind of diversity, and I don't just mean diversity in you know diversity in thinking, and that can be you know culture, colour, gender. It doesn't really matter. It's just diversity in thinking. And I, I think in our bubbles of COVID, I think what it's actually done is diversity thinking so you're sat around the table with people who think sound and behave like you and are going to echo and tell you exactly the same thing that they told you six months ago yeah and with that with that restricted thinking we're never going to move forward so for me one of the first things I kind of try and introduce when I'm talking to big corporates is that you need diverse thinking around you. You need more. And I try and pull in retailers I know from all different areas and I try and pull in customers and you need more people to tell you their story so that you can put your story together based on that. Yeah, and I agree with it. I think uh, right now we are just uh, in a very shallow phase of uh, understanding diversity in its all meaning, where we everyone, it's all these corporations are doing everything to show sensibility to the cause without actually hiring people or giving chances to people from all the you know diverse areas possible. Mm. So everyone is trying to show sensibility, but without paying. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the biggest bullshit possible. Yeah, well, I think it's not about paying, Juliana. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not about they don't want to pay. They they simply don't know what they should be doing. I mean, imagine yeah. that uh, you you don't know you 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 suddenly uh, end up trying to to speak Chinese, and that's it. And it's hard. I mean, the learning curve is so hard because imagine if you've been product centric for the last fifty years, and your company is uh, uh, let's say that's that's the way they are going i mean they they simply have suppliers they put things on the shelf and they expect magically for those things to go out and yeah. that's it and they they they've been playing this game and they are in order to be in in a position over there to to really radically move the destiny of such a big company you should be in your i don't know 50s I mean, it's not that easy to be in your 30s or in your 40s to, to be at such a level. And usually you're, you're in your 50s or even 60s and you need to, let's say, uh, think about your retirement and you don't want to place these uh, high bets on something. And at the end of the day, you, you end up having your company in, in some, some mediocrity. And that's it. Right. And, and people are attracted by the, the 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 ones that are like them. I mean, that's the Newton's law of attraction at the end. Yes, right? it is. And, and you know what? It's the reason I developed Shop You. When I think back to it, is because e-commerce is built for one person. It's built for the same person. So any e-commerce store you go to gives you exactly the same experience as everyone else in the world. And we are not everyone else in the world. We're all very right. unique individual. So the reason I developed ShopU was so that you could have a store for people like you or people like me. 
that it didn't have to be this one linear journey. It took into account weather, emotional state, you know, whether I have kids or don't have kids, whether I love pets or don't love pets, you know, it takes all of that information into account and then gives me what is right for me as opposed to what is right for you. So, yeah, anyway. I love yeah. that. I love Kelly, that. Kelly, I wanted to ask you something. So if you look back in your whole experience, you've, you've been working with more than 100 retailers. What's your favorite experience? What was the, 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 the best outcome? Not in the sense of the, the, the biggest money maker, but the, the, the thing that you've influenced and you can say, good girl, good job. Oh, wow. I did this. It sounds really big headed, but there's so many. I, I don't mean <laughs> that. So I think um, some, some great brands that I've worked with, one of my favorite brands that I've worked with here in Australia is a brand called La Specs who do sunglasses and went in, they had some of the similar problems that um, we talked about earlier and they're an amazing brand. So just being able to kind of educate them on all things digital and get them, because the brand and the product was second to none. I think that was, that was and, and to see their customer acquisition going down, to see their traffic going up and to see their um, average order value going up was, was amazing. Even just overnight, like some little tweaks that we made that, that changed that overnight, that's one of them. For me at the moment, working with the really small retailers, I love when they will send me a WhatsApp message saying, I just sold my first um, product through a chatbot. And I'm like, boom, boom. And the empowerment and, or I just wrote my first blog that had call to actions that I SEO'd the hell out of and I'm getting traffic to it. Or I'm number, you know, five in Google for it. When people search, I'm like that, that stuff fills my soul. You know, I just, that kind of piece of, I feel empowered to make decisions now. I feel empowered to make the right decisions in di digital is the stuff that, that gets me. Anyway, we've gone through an hour already. <laughs> I have one more question. I have I had so many questions just that, but this went way better than my question were. My questions were boring. So uh, I I have one more question because it's something that it's it's unrelated to business or whatever. So I met you because I was frustrated that I don't know that many women in e-commerce, if you remember, mm -hmm. when, uh, and Jason uh, Greenwood somehow introduced me to you. So you are a female founder in a male-dominated industry. And I know a lot of powerful women, like me as well, fight a lot with the imposter syndrome. Is that something that you are battling with right now or have you battled with in the past? And how did you uh, shut that 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 feeling out <laughs> so i don't say every, no more no more no more day. yeah every, I don't want to, yeah and you know it, it is hard it's so hard i mean i've been in meetings where people have said can you bring your technology guy in you know just blatantly so many so many situations i could recall where i am just not respected as someone in technology because i am female or for whatever reason it might be um, so yes, you do. I do feel imposter syndrome. And even this morning, I was chatting. Uh, I was at the gym and I was chatting away. And I said, I've got to get on this, on this thing this morning. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I said, I just don't. I, you know, you, you always. It's always there. I think a couple of things that have happened for me recently that have kind of changed that a little bit is COVID. I think all of a sudden people are listening. 
you know, as opposed to before where I was kind of brought into the room and they were like, oh, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Thanks, thanks for coming. But now it's like, actually, we need to do this. So I think the world has changed, which has made me feel a little bit more empowered. And actually, I maybe do sometimes know what I'm talking about, as opposed to just making it up. Um, I think just being around people that that make you feel good. I, I, I did a Oh, it sounds awful. I, not cold, but I, I took out the people that were constantly challenging me for the sake of challenge. Challenge is great, but when they're pulling you down as opposed to trying to give you really constructive feedback on how you build and grow, uh, I think those people um, are not of value to your life, you know? And I think you've got to surround yourself with people, like-minded people like you guys, where you know you know that you're on a mission, you know what you're doing, what you're passionate about, you know we're always learning and none of us have got the answer of the future, you know, but we've got probably a lot more answers than most people out there at the moment. And I think it's just reiterating that message as kind of getting me through that imposter syndrome, but I still have it all the time. I relate. And I think, yeah, it, uh, eliminating a lot of toxicity from your life it's a lot. And it's not only people, it's just things that you gather. And I, I'm in the same spot right now. That's why I wanted to get your, your opinion, because you have more experience than me. So this was a personal question for me. <laughs> I'm gonna, you should invoice me <laughs> for the therapy. <laughs> but thank you so much, Kelly, for being here today. I think this was by far one of the coolest episodes. You revived me. I thought I was dead. I'm not. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm actually ready right now, <laughs> so I'm in a good I spot. I love what you guys are doing, and I would love to just keep connected and, you know, pick your brains, and I think there's a, a global piece that we could have more impact with more people if we did it together. So well, I would love Trust me, I'm going to count your word on that, and I will be in your inbox. You got my wheels running. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you, uh, Nelson, for the question and for being here for the second time in my podcast. Thank you. And uh, I will see you. Yeah, Valentin, sorry. I was. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, Kelly, if you can share with our audience where they can uh, reach out to you. Yes, sorry. <laughs> So LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably one of my main channels. ShopHue website, Kelly Slessor website. I've got too many channels going on. And I'm on Instagram as uh, the Retail Edge as well. So, yeah, any of those channels. But LinkedIn is probably my main one. Excellent. So, Kelly, it was amazing having you today. You, you've been uh, uh, great. I mean, you've uh, revived our, our, us. We were in, uh, uh, <laughs> let's say, uh, at the end of our uh, of our day. But you've been amazing, and thanks a lot for uh, for being today with us. And uh, hopefully, we will uh, we will do more more stuff together uh, in in our endeavor to to. Uh, help companies and the retailers and e-commerce people fo focusing on the customer lifetime value. We have this uh, customer value optimization academy, and uh, we'd we'd love to 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 have you as one of our instructors uh, as well. We have already, I think, uh, eleven on the pipeline. So, uh, I think the world needs more people like you. I think you're uh, uh, truly authentic and uh, full of energy, and you you you. You're, you're straightforward and uh, it, it's been a great episode and uh, thanks a lot for being today with us. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's so lovely to meet you. Thanks for your time. Same here. Thank you. Thank you so much and see you guys next week.
This podcast was brought to you by Vitex. Vitex is the first and only fully integrated e-commerce marketplace and OMS solution that offers fastest time to revenue and no upgrades ever. So go ahead, check them out, vtex.com.